start with Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and we'll read through chapter 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received... Freely give. Father, we thank you again for your word. And I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. That we may be conformed into the image of Jesus. And be obedient servants. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have been considering this topic of the Great Commission, and I'll give you the passage again, maybe a couple more times. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then the promise, Lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And we've looked at each of those components of the Great Commission. That one singular command to make disciples is carried out by the process of going, baptizing, and teaching. And now that we've considered those things, I'd like us to look to the life of Jesus and His own relationship with His disciples, His own ministry, and we see in this passage, I believe, the main point, the thrust of the passage is this, is that Jesus' ministry was marked by compassion. And He desired to replicate His ministry in His disciples. Now, if you look in your bulletin under the sermon text, you'll just see the title, Help Wanted. Anyone seen a Help Wanted sign lately? Only everywhere you go, right? We won't get into the politics of it. But it's a problem, right? Everybody needs help. 
A few uh, months ago when Kelby and I had our anniversary, we took a little weekend trip and everywhere we went, there was a sign, help wanted, and most places had a sign that said something like this, uh, store hours may vary due to uh, employee supply or something like that. So there's a need in many places for help, for workers. And in the work of the church and in the work of the Great Commission, there is always a need for more workers. Help is always wanted. It was a refreshing thing to me, and I believe I heard it in a song line several years ago. I can't remember it now. Something along the lines of how refreshing to know you don't need me, but how amazing to find that you want me. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any one of us. He could do all the work on his own. But he has chosen to carry out the mission of his church, the mission of making disciples of all the nations through his people, through his church. We have the privilege, the honor, the joy of taking part in that mission. Let's just notice three things from the text and we'll walk through it together. Number one, notice the example of Jesus. Verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. We see going, we don't see baptizing, but we see the preaching that accompanies it, and we see teaching. Jesus is the first person to take part in His own ministry. This is a good summary of the ministry of Jesus. We see these elements here, teaching, He taught in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. And it's it's an example to us, I believe, of our own personal ministry, individually, and for the ministry of the church, corporately. We see good deeds. Now, we're not healing like Jesus. Anybody got that power? Just... No, just go ahead and say no, you don't. None of us have the power to do the healing like Jesus did. He's the only one who has that ability. But we are still called to do good deeds to our neighbors. He said in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Why? that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We sing the song when we're children, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. Anybody know what a bushel is? None of the kids know what a bushel is. It's a basket, right? (laughs) It just wouldn't flow well with the song. But you have to yell out that exclamatory, No, I'm going to let it shine. We're called to do good works, to meet physical needs of people in our own church and in our community. But the purpose of us doing those good deeds is not just to make people's lives more comfortable, but it is that they may glorify the Father who is in heaven. And we see even in the ministry of Jesus, Him doing good deeds. His good deed was healing the sick and casting out demons. There's the work of preaching. And for us, that's proclamation. That's sharing the gospel. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that when we talk about preaching the gospel, you don't have to think about the guy that puts on a suit coat and stands up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and opens his Bible and gives a 30-minute sermon. 
But the call for us to preach the gospel, to proclaim the message of Jesus to all the earth, is the simple act of us sharing the good news of Jesus. If you have been born again, if you've experienced the grace of God, you have good news. God has done that work in you, and He has called us to share it with those around us. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. If you think if anyone had opportunity or even maybe a justifiable reason to be ashamed, it would be Paul. You know, he was imprisoned. He was beaten, shipwrecked, eventually decapitated for the gospel. But he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. One verse that the Lord used in me, uh, even as a teenager, when I was considering the work of ministry and preaching and that, that calling that I believe God was placing on my life, He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That puts a little more weight to it, doesn't it? That's the work that God was doing in me as He called me to this ministry. And we should all consider our own personal lives in that light. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Who do you know that you could be sharing the good news of Jesus with? But then we see the work of teaching. Jesus taught in the synagogues, but for us... As we've seen, this work of teaching is instruction in doctrine and godliness. We looked last week at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul said, The things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And these are the areas of ministry that Jesus exemplified for us. While our ministry isn't exactly like His, for sure, he was in a different stage of history, a different stage of ministry before His death and resurrection. His ministry nonetheless sets an example for us to apply even in this present age. The greatest example that Jesus sets for us here though isn't so much in what He did, but in His attitude or His motive, His compassion for the people. Verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. That always amazes me. It fascinates me, to say the least, when I see that Jesus was moved in his emotions. And we see that a few times throughout the record of the Gospels. It really goes to prove the humanity of Jesus. He wasn't some glowing figure like you see in a lot of paintings. You know, God just stepped straight down out of heaven to earth and He's still just walking around with, you know, like He'd been around too much uh, radiation or something. Uh, and He's just got this, this light emanating from Him. Jesus was a man. Yes, God in the flesh, but in the flesh no less. And here we see that He was moved with compassion. It's incredible to observe Jesus, God in the flesh, being moved with emotions like we are. Now His were perfect and sinless. My, my being moved with emotions is often sinful, right? Can anyone join me in that? Amen? Jesus' emotions were 
perfect. They were sinless, but He was moved nonetheless. And one of the greatest characteristics of Jesus' ministry that we should desire to see reproduced in our own ministries is His compassion for people. Notice just a couple of things about His compassion. He was moved with compassion when He was already ministering among the people. You know, sometimes we think about people who are gifted in sharing the gospel and gifted in ministering to other people, and you think, man, I wish I I could be like them. I wish I had the, the outgoing personality like them, or I wish I cared for people as much as they care for people. Let me just tell you the best way to develop a passion for ministry and a compassion for the people you minister to is just to get involved in ministry. You know, we don't sit around and wait until God just fills us with this love for people and this compassion for people and a passion to share the gospel. And then we say, okay, now I'm juiced up and ready to go. And then you go out and share the gospel. No, it is as you minister, as you serve people, as you share the gospel, that God develops in you a passion and a compassion for people for the work of the gospel. If we desire to feel compassion for people, we have to make ourselves be around people. I know that's hard. Being around people. People are messy. People get on our nerves. People are selfish. But if you want to have compassion for people, if you want to have a heart for ministry, you just have to get involved in ministry. Ministry breeds more ministry. The people who you see who are passionate to go out on the mission field, just to use an example, and they're willing to sell their possessions and go to school and learn another language and travel across the world, they didn't just wake up one morning and decide they want to do that. Usually those people did something else first. They went on a short-term trip, right? The people who devote their lives to go to the lost are people who have already seen them. The people who you know who are most passionate about sharing the gospel, who who find it easiest to open their mouths and tell people about Jesus, are people who have been telling people about Jesus. And as we step into our roles of ministry, even at first it's out of duty... Maybe a sense of responsibility. I feel compelled to do this. You know, like Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That may be how it starts. But then as you're involved in ministry and you see the work that God is doing in people and you see more and more the need that people have to be ministered to and to hear the gospel, He develops in you that love for them, that compassion for them, that passion for the gospel. Ministry breeds more ministry. You want to be passionate about ministry? Just go get started in ministry somewhere. We must remember too that this compassion would take Jesus, not just to this crowd to heal them and cast out demons and meet their physical needs, but this compassion took Jesus all the way to the cross. He said here... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. It ought to remind us of what he said in John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? 
gives his life for the sheep. This compassion that Jesus had for the people as he was ministering in their midst wouldn't just motivate him to finish the day. It wouldn't just motivate him to meet their physical needs for a few more weeks or for three years. But that compassion that he had for people, not just for these people, but for all people, for you, would take him all the way to the cross. It's his compassion that is our only reason for being here. You would not be sitting in a church this morning hearing from the Bible were it not for the compassion of Jesus. Because you see, He loves you. Though you rebel against Him, though you sin against Him, though you disobey Him, you give no thought to Him, you refuse to thank Him for the blessings that He's given you, He loved you. So much... That He died for you. If Jesus never gave us another good thing, if He never healed another person, if He never fixed another problem, there's no way we could question His love for us. Because He died for us. He laid down His own life as a sacrifice for your sin. Taking the punishment, the guilt that was yours. So that you could walk free. That's the example of Jesus. It's one of compassion. Number two, we see in this passage the necessity of prayer. The necessity of prayer. Verse 37, He said to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's always more work to be done than we have people to do the work, isn't there? There is more work than there are workers. And we who are actively involved in ministry feel that the most, right? They talk about the, what is it, the 80-20 rule? 20-80? 20% of the people doing 80% of the work? That really is how most churches operate. And the people who are involved in ministry are the people who feel this need for more laborers. And it was as Jesus was ministering to the people that He stepped back and, stepped back and said, We need more ministers. We need more laborers. It's as we are involved in ministry that we step back and say, We need more people. We need more workers. It's as we share the gospel that we realize we need more people sharing the gospel. It's as we're meeting needs that we realize we need more people to help meet needs. You who are involved in the various ministries of our church and even in your own personal ministries in your lives... You can understand that. There's always a need for more laborers. Truly, the harvest is plenteous. You know, sometimes when you meet new people, uh, well, just you men, you, you know this. What's the first thing that somebody asks you? Hey, I'm Jacob. It's good to meet you. What's the first question you get asked? What do you do? You get some crazy looks sometimes when you tell people you're a pastor. Not because there's anything wrong with being a pastor, but it's just people feel like they have to behave differently. 
They feel like they have to justify the thing they said 15 seconds ago. That was a little offhand. Sometimes, you know, people ask that and I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. They're like, well, I guess that's a good thing to be in. Yeah, you know, job security. There's plenty of sinners. You know, kind of lighten the mood a little bit. And that's true. The harvest is plenteous. If you want to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have job security. You might not get paid, but you have job security. There will always be work to do. Because there are always sinners. There are always people who need to come to know the Lord Jesus. There are always people who need to be saved. But what is the right response to a shortage of laborers? That's a good question. And this is a little convicting when I think about this. What should be our response when we realize we need more people to be working in the ministry? Because let's just be honest, the first thing we think of is, you know, we should probably put an announcement in the bulletin. Donette, people read the bulletin, right? The whole thing, cover to cover, every week. Nobody ever misses anything in the bulletin. Only when you make an error. Only when you make an error, that's right. Maybe we should do more uh, training workshops, have a, have a Saturday seminar, get people together, teach them how to share the gospel, or you know, show them a map of our area and some unreached places. Maybe we should uh, have some discipleship training. Maybe we need to do some just one-on-one begging and pleading. Will you please come help us? And we can do those things, sure, we do. We tend to start thinking of our options for recruiting when we see a need. Who can we get to fill this void? But that's not what Jesus told us to do. He said, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what? Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. The right response when we see a need in ministry is prayer. It's prayer. Why is that the last thing we think of? Why do we feel like we have to put all of our efforts in first before we seek the Lord? Why can't we seem to train ourselves that the first response to everything is pray? I'm preaching to me. I'll just listen. The right response when we see the need for the work of ministry, and if we really just open our eyes, we see the need everywhere. We as a church must be praying that the Lord would send more laborers into His harvest. We have to remember this though, there is only one Lord of the harvest and it isn't you. It isn't me. He is the Lord who sends. Are you praying that the Lord will send more laborers into His harvest? Are you praying? I hope you are. I'm, I'm trying to learn to do this more consistently. To pray that the Lord would send laborers into His work. In two directions. I'll just go ahead and tell you how I'm praying. I'm praying for two directions. One, that the Lord would send laborers to us. To help us work. 
That the Lord would bring up laborers in this congregation that we can do more work here. But a second way that I'm praying that the Lord would send laborers into His harvest is that He would send people from us. We pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest that's before us to the work that we've been given to do. But we also pray that the Lord will raise up people in our own congregation that we can send to go places and do things that most of us can't do. Do y'all think I'm crazy? Is it reasonable to pray for that? Can the Lord do it? Can He use your kids? Okay. We pray that the Lord would send laborers into His harvest, but He's not just the Lord of the harvest who sends, He's the Lord who gives the harvest. Saving people is not our job. You know, I have never saved anybody. I have never forgiven anyone's sins. I have never once granted eternal life to a sinner. I have never a single time reconciled a sinner on his or her way to hell with God in heaven so that they could be declared righteous. I can't. But God can. He is the Lord of the harvest. Why do we pray to Him? Why do we pray before we do ministry? Because He's the only one that can bear fruit. We can preach, we can minister, we can serve, we can go, we can sin, we can grow our church, we can do all of these things, but we will never save a sinner. We will never produce any lasting fruit unless God bears that fruit. God has to produce the fruit. The harvest is His. We're just called to reap what He's producing. We say, Lord, send me where your fruit is so I can pick it. The harvest is plenteous. We just have to go out into the field and work. You see the example of Jesus, the necessity of prayer. And then number three, the call to action. Verse 1 of chapter 10 says, And when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Now this is one of those places where chapter divisions are unhelpful because the thought just flows from chapter 9 into chapter 10. Think about this. The very people that Jesus told to pray that the Lord would send laborers were the first people that He sent in answer to that prayer. When you pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest, don't be surprised if you are the first answer to your own prayer. It makes sense that it would be that way, doesn't it? Because none of us really are afraid to say, yes, I will pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest. I will sit here on my church pew. I will listen to the sermon. And I will pray that the Lord will send someone 
else to do the work. Now, there may be some who's at a stage of life where your primary ministry will be prayer. Some people live their whole lives in faithfulness to the Lord, and when they reach a point where they can't do everything they used to be able to do, they get discouraged and say, well, all I can do now is pray. Then pray. We need prayers. But for most of us, when we pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest, we should expect that we will be sent first. Because why would we expect other people to do things that we ourselves are not willing to do ourselves? How can I ask you to tell people about Jesus if I will not tell people about Jesus? How can I ask you to make disciples if I'm not making disciples? How can you help others in ministry and in maturity if you yourself are not participating in ministry and growing into maturity? It makes sense, doesn't it? We, we try to do that with our kids, right? The, the do as I say, not as I do, that doesn't really work, does it? And it's really a, it really rings your bell when you see your kid do something and you start to fuss at them and you're like, you know what? I said that same thing yesterday. <laughs> How can we expect to help others grow if we are not growing? How can we expect others to go if we're not going? Notice a few things about this. He empowered them to do the work that he called them to do. He says there in verse 1, he gave them power. He gave them authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. He called them to do that work. In, in their context, that was what their ministry was to do. Jesus is trying to replicate his ministry in his disciples. He's been preaching and teaching and healing people and casting out demons. So when he sends his disciples, he says, preach, teach, heal people and cast out demons. We can't do that, Jesus. I know. He gave them power. He gave them authority. He equipped them to do the work that he called them to do. Well, guess what? He hasn't called you to heal people and cast out demons, but he has called you to make disciples. And how did he begin that command? All authority, all power, the same word, is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples. Jesus has authority and He gives you the authority and power that you need to do what He's commanded you to do. He doesn't say, okay, go do what I said. Good luck and leave you on your own. But He goes with you. He gives you the power, gives you the equipment that you need to obey. In Acts 1.8, remember he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You have the Holy Spirit, you have power to be his witness. Notice too that these were common men, mostly unknown. You know, we're tempted to look at these and, and say, Yeah, well, they were the apostles. You know, handpicked by Jesus. But even of the disciples, we don't know a lot about some of them. You know, the ones we do know about were just fishermen. 
tax collectors, common men. But I mean, do you know anything about Thaddeus? I don't, other than his name was Thaddeus. Anybody know about uh, the other Simon, the Canaanite? I don't. I don't really know anything about Bartholomew either. The point is, they were common men. And you can't use the excuse of, well, I'm not a pastor, or I'm not an apostle, or I'm not like these guys, I don't have that gifting. It really doesn't matter, because the Lord is going to give you what you need to do the work that He's called you to do. It doesn't matter if anyone knows you or not. But they were to imitate Jesus' ministry. Verse 7 and 8, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. They were to do as Jesus had done. Jesus is a good model for disciple making. He did the work Himself first. He brought other men alongside Him to see Him. Then He gave them some responsibility, said, you give it a try. And then by the time the three years are up, He says, I'm out of here. It's all yours. And that's the kind of relationships that we ought to be having with people in the church. We ought to ourselves be involved in ministry. But then bringing others alongside us as we are ministering that they can see and learn and we can have teachable moments. And then slowly you start handing responsibility over to these other Christians. And, that, and then eventually the time will come where you say, you know what, I think you can handle this. Get on with it and do the same with someone else. That's the model that Jesus gives us. They were imitating His ministry, and we should be involved in the kind of ministry that's worth imitating. Your life, your Christian life, ought to be one that is worth someone else imitating. And if it's not, consider yourself, why? What needs to change? Notice the end of verse 8. They were to give as freely as they had received. He said, freely you have received, freely give. Everything we've been given from God has been given to us freely. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We didn't earn the gospel, we haven't earned the Holy Spirit, we haven't earned Christian maturity. Every good thing that has been produced in us has been produced by God. And just as we have received freely, so we should freely give. Sometimes that is physical. Sometimes that is giving to an offering, buying someone groceries, doing a Thanksgiving bag or a shoebox for a Christmas gifts for a kid. But often it's just a conversation. Passing on what has been given to you to someone else. That's all disciple making is. Doing other people spiritual good by passing on what the Lord has given you. We know what we must do. Our task is right here before us. If you don't understand the Great Commission... You're not listening. <laughs> it's clear in Scripture. We have been called to make disciples of all the nations. And all the nations starts right here.
We must go. We must proclaim the good news about Jesus. We must baptize those who believe. We must teach other believers into maturity and multiplication. We don't have an option. We have been so freely given the gift of God in salvation. And I pray, and I mean it, I'm praying, that we will be moved by compassion and take that same gift to our communities, to the world. Let us pray that the Lord will send laborers into His work and let us be willing to be the first answer to our own prayer. Maybe someone here is not in the category of those who need to go, but you're maybe the one who hasn't yet been reached. I don't know your hearts. But you've heard the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. You are a sinner. But just as much as you are a great sinner, Christ is a great Savior. Your sin doesn't match His grace. He can forgive you, and He will, if you'll repent and put your trust in Him. Consider to yourself this morning, what is the next step I need to take in my spiritual walk? And then take it. Would you stand as we pray? God, you are the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we pray that you would send laborers into your harvest. May we be faithful. May we be obedient. Move us with compassion. And bear fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen.